today I am in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. So Josh Moscow has kindly invited me up, up north. So Josh is actually one of the originals from the Rental Journal. I think before the podcast was even, even a thing and we're doing written interviews, I think you might have been yeah. written interview number five or six. So, so you're on that, on, on that special list. <laughs> <laughs> I like the special list. <laughs> so, so welcome on uh, the Rental Journal podcast. Yes, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for having me. This is great. Awesome. So, so maybe um, we'll get into Lodging Move and, and your background and everything, but maybe we'll start about like how you first got involved in rental and we'll sort of work our way through here. Sure. So uh, how did you first get involved in the equipment rental industry? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I've gotten that question before because it's not like you go to school for, I'm going to be in the rental space. But um, yeah, I grew up working for my family businesses. My dad had a restaurant and um, I did that when I was real young, seven, eight years old and peeling potatoes, cash register. And I was like, eh, this isn't the best <laughs> business, really hot in the kitchen. And I was like, my grandfather was in the electrical wholesale business. So I wound up working for him. Started there when I was like 10 years old. And um, he sat me down, I'll never forget the conversation. He said, you're gonna learn every aspect of this business. And um, one day it'll be yours. And he said, I'm gonna pay you three bucks an hour. And I was like, <laughs> this is great, like three bucks an hour is, you know, I was all happy. And then he handed me some supplies to clean the toilets. And you know, that was the intro. <laughs> that was it, that was intro. So, but I, I, I always take that message because I did work in inside sales, shipping and receiving, stock and shelves, outside sales. You know, I, I worked in every aspect of the business. So that, that held true. And the segue to the rental business was, and this was um, after I graduated college, I came back to work and I was going full time for my master's and United Rentals was just starting up down the road. And um, they were doing the Trace Centennial show here at Yale laser light show and it was right when they were starting their specialty group with the generators and so they needed a panel and Yale was my biggest customer at the time so Yale said yeah go see Josh he'll he'll take care of you so I built them a panel in the fab shop over the weekend and the United Reynolds guys a couple of young guys at the time were like wow this you know you went above and beyond you should come work with us and I was like hmm, interesting you know maybe try to get outside of the whole family business and see what's out there. And um, I was just finishing up my master's. So I was like, yeah, seems like an interesting opportunity. And at the time, like I said, United was, was the first branch in West Haven, Connecticut here. They were starting their specialty group. And um, it was all entertainment at the time. So film, concert, TV, special events. And they gave me a pickup truck and generators and cable and said, here, go set up a job, figure it out. And um, <laughs> that was kind of my entree into the the rental world. Wow. So, so what was your first official role? I was basically kind of operating and set up and, you know, we, we didn't really have so much defined roles at that time, but, um, you know, I was kind of set up crew slash operations mm. and then, um, you know, went into some different roles and in inside sales and outside sales and, and management. And, um, we, like I said, we had one branch at the time and then it went to 25 in a few years. And then, it just kept growing from there and where they sit today they have you know almost 300 specialty branches now so it's yeah. uh, it's really amazing to watch yeah it's crazy in australia like coats is the largest and i think they've got around 
arguably 1,800 to 2,000 employees, and then United Rentals has 2,000 locations. Yeah. <laughs> like the scale of the thing just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like it's so big, Massive. Yeah. so big. So, so when you first joined, it would have been a very different organization then. Yeah, it was always interesting. I always tell different stories because, you know, it was, yeah, it was kind of that small. And at the time they were doing all acquisitions, they think they did. And first couple of years I was there, like 200 acquisitions. I mean, it was, it was crazy, but um, it was just different. There wasn't metrics and, and different things. We would go out to the yard and if it was empty, it was like, thumbs up, we're doing a good job. <laughs> and um, so it was really interesting. And my first real lesson in that was, again, we were doing entertainment. We were doing a lot of stuff in the summer in the Hamptons and New York City and film, Paramount. And uh, we were working crazy hours and taking all sorts of jobs. And we we're like, this is cool. We're, we're killing it and, you know, getting all this revenue. And, and then at the end of the month, we'd look and we're like, ah, we didn't make that much money. And we look at all our costs and union drivers and all these things. And we're like, you know, we need to do something a little different here, raise prices, do some different things. And that was my first lesson on it, you know, how to start to think about it from a rental perspective and managing costs and, you know, mm -hmm. metrics and things like that. So yeah, it was a really great learning lesson kind of got thrown to the wolves initially and you really you really learned right and you learned again every aspect of the business and yeah so it was it was an amazing experience so so then how much of a career did you have through united then it sounds like you were there for a bit yeah i was there for uh six years and then um and then i went to a Kohler distributor selling generators so i got into kind of the manufacturing side and a little bit of rental there but um, I was there for a little bit and the same guy who recruited me at United Rentals um, went to work at, at the time Hertz and um, he said, yeah, we're going to scale up this energy services group, come over here with me. So I was kind of missed the rental thing and I had back onto, you know, into the full, full rental, big rental company business and, and they were not just starting at Hertz Energy, but it was, it was relatively small and they, they wanted to scale up and that was a really another mm. exciting opportunity and mm. that was a great great ride so was that also in connecticut so initially there was a branch here right down the road in north haven it was kind of the new england branch so i started out as kind of a branch manager for new england and then i became kind of in a regional role and then uh, we kind of brought on this is like pump and power for a little while and then i was kind of over the americas and then um the last few years went into a global role when we started expanding and doing some things there so it was just an amazing experience from a you know getting to a global role I was doing initially again we were starting kind of from scratch everything right sales mm -hmm. operations yeah a little bit of fleet a little bit of finance a little bit of marketing and um, just kind of expanded from there and worked a little bit at corporate in New Jersey I used to commute to, to corporate so it was, a, it was a great learning experience I had some great bosses and um, it was really interesting interacting with the corporate side on the Hertz rent-a-car side. And yeah, there's some great, great things about that whole run that we had. And, um, and it, it grew pretty substantially 40, 50% for five years wow. kind of straight. So, wow. Yeah. So, so when was the moment that you realized that you were sort of hooked in the rental industry, do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I think it was just, one of those things early on, I mean, when I started at United, it was 2000 and right away, you know, shortly after basically 9-11 happened here and it just, it was just a different world, right? And we, 
sent 21 truckloads day one there. So the whole emergency response thing, and then I was working with United, we went down to Katrina and we were living in an RV for weeks at a time. And so I think it was, you know, there wasn't a specific time that comes to mind, but there was definitely a lot of times where it felt like, you know, we were really, you know, coming together in humanity and community and rental, mm. you know, kind of the whole rental team and, and certain things. So it just, it definitely was that along with, you know, during other natural disasters and things where, you know, people really needed power, people needed HVAC, people needed equipment, right? So it was really kind of that multitasking and just kind of the chaotic nature of the business. And um, it just, I think a lot of rental people can understand that, you know, yeah. every day is different and exciting and um, challenging at the same time. So I think, you know, a lot of things combined just, just felt like home and, yeah. um, and, you know, that's, that's really probably my best, best uh, answer on that. <laughs> and so, so then what was, did you, after the Hertz side, uh, did you continue on in the industry? Yeah. Yep. I went to uh, Ready Arc, which is the largest rental, uh, welder rental company in the world. And um, that was a really interesting kind of getting out of my comfort zone a little bit. And um, I took a role as, as VP of fleet and operations there globally about 70 branches globally and um you know a large part of it obviously is the welder rental part of it and they had generators and some light towers and stuff and bought a oil field division that does generators and natural gas generators and things along those lines so that was a really interesting experience and that was really you know i was on the senior management team and going through some change in a company called air liquide a large french company had bought air gas who was our parent company so that was really kind of my first entree into m a and and getting acquired and, and and that type of thing so but um that was a really interesting role as well and learned a lot and all my previous experience kind of got me ready for that uh, and mm. all the different roles so yeah that was a and then and then how did that transition eventually happen to logi move because that's it's a yeah working in the industry and then yeah. working more on a technology side yeah, yeah, I had I had one other stop there. I worked for High Power Himawinsa, a manufacturer. Uh, so I went back to manufacturing. So this kind of rounded out where I was with rental companies and a dealer and then manufacturing. And it was a really great experience um, working with a company, a Spanish company, and really trying to scale up in North America, build a new factory. And uh, eventually they were acquired by the Japanese, Myanmar. And... Um, so that was a really interesting opportunity, and I managed, I was VP of sales there, managing and helping grow in sales. So, um, and then obviously working back with all the rental companies and all the companies that I worked for and built relationships in the past. So, mm. again, all kind of intertwined with, yeah, you know. That relationship, relationship. The network is, uh, is a big play. So when you move around, obviously, you've got that huge network that you've built up over those years. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, my whole thing, too, is always... I didn't really know. I just always liked to build relationships and network. It wasn't something that intentional, but I think throughout my career, especially the last few years, I learned that, you know, those relationships are, you know, worth a lot. I like to try to add value and, and do what I can, but ultimately it's, you know, it's a community, right? It's a small niche industry and everyone knows everyone. And, mm. and um, you know, it sounds like a cliche a little bit, but not to burn bridges, but I think in this industry it's, it, 
it rings pretty true. Yeah. Well, if you go back to that first statement around United Rentals, you're going above and beyond. Like people remember that stuff. Yeah. So when they think, oh, I need someone that I can depend on. Like if you've got those that relationship and that network, then you're sort of always in the back of their mind when they need something. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And I think it still is that it's a service relationship business where if you really show up for customers and uh, I think that goes a long way. I think people really appreciate that. And, you know, it's um, it's still that really tight relationship business. And, you know. Yeah. And so then... So then we jump over to Logi Move. So how, how, yeah. how, maybe let's start. Maybe let's start off yeah. with what is Logi Move sure. because uh, people are probably thinking this uh, this strange name yeah. <laughs> yeah. into the picture. So uh, so what is Logi Move? Yeah, and and I'll and I'll take a little segue there because once I once I left High Power, um, I went to consulting. I had had a consulting company, but I was like, this is my chance to kind of get out there a little bit and use my experience and see where I can add value. And so that was. Part of the journey and transition and um, I really veered into technology and telematics was really and IOT was really kind of where it started going it wasn't really that I created the path that I said I'm going here but that's where that's where it wound up going I was in in Hertz I was part of the steering committee for implement telematics and and I kind of headed that at ReadyArc so I had a little bit of technology experience and I was part of an ERP uh, changeover committee and certain things. So I had some, a little bit of background, but um, that's really where the consulting went. I went to telematics and went to technology and some different things. And uh, I met the founder of Lodgemu, Philip, through a mutual friend. And again, I was doing telematics. And in my mind, you know, everyone's focused on machine data and rightfully so in this environment that you know, machines are very capital intense business and knowing, you know, data and, and all that has, has always been kind of paramount. And, um, and I saw the technology with, with Logimove and I thought, wow, this is really interesting technology on the kind of the workforce side and mobility side. Mm-hmm. And um, I had implemented some stuff for, for ReadyArc and on operations side and inventory management and little bit of workforce and scanning and different things and I was like wow if this technology was there I would have definitely used it and I thought this is something that the industry could really use and um, you know and my thought and my vision was that okay we can take the machine data all the telematic stuff and actually actually trigger actionable you know with with the workforce because a lot of times people are getting all the data acquiring all this data, but not really making it actionable or, or doing mm. anything with it that's added value, just a lot of noise and a lot of data. So this was kind of, you know, where, you know, where me and Philip really jived and thought, wow, this is, could be an interesting opportunity because the industry is kind of far behind in this mobility and technology and um, a lot of outdated software. So yeah. anyways, those were our initial conversations and we, we saw eye to eye and the company Move, it's initially Czech Mobile in Europe, a um, little story there too, but when the founder, Philip, came over to the U.S. and said Czech Mobile, everyone thought it was like paychecks and, you know, cash and checks and like, nah, that's that's not it. So he thought it made sense to change the name to Move. So the parent company and the initial company is, is Czech Mobile in Europe and, um, and Move in, in North America. So that's that's kind of how things led up to that relationship. And um, I consulted for a little bit and then we 
he said I needed somebody to run the business basically. So I became the managing director and that's how I got into this software business, right? Yeah. So, so maybe let's let's dive a little bit deeper on the layers for Logimove because people are listening to this and they're probably like they're trying to understand like what what the actual sure. problems are that Logimove are solving. So so you mentioned the mobile piece and you mentioned workflows as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Logimove has a quite a unique uh, position in the rental industry because it's quite flexible mm-hmm. in the way it can design things. So yeah. what are some of the aspects of Logimove that sort of exist right now in terms of like um, products, I guess? Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's a good question because that is a big, you know, who are we, what do we do, how do we add value type of thing. And, you know, I think it, it starts with, like I said, the flexibility. So it's a low code, no code platform, right? So, you know, what that means really is you don't need to be a software developer or engineer to write code or hard code the software. Um, so it, you know, was built basically to be very flexible and, you know, really scalable, right? So you can basically click and drop and drag and, you know, do some things if you have a little bit of savvy. So, you know, basically you're, you know, that's the framework and um, it's a multi-tenant, multilingual platform. So coming from Europe and, you know, a lot of different countries, a lot of different languages, the need, the need to be was the flexibility. So, um, and, and the early customers were all car rental customers. So all the big car rental companies, Hertz and Europe Car and Six were initial customers. And kind of the use case, and I think this helps explain it a little bit, is, you know, when you're checking in, checking out vehicles, a lot of times there's a high turnover rate in that business. And, um, and some of the less paid workers in that business. So they were looking for something at the time, and this is going back, you know, 15 years ago, they were looking for something at the time that was basically very intuitive, where you can have a mobile device, a tablet, a phone, and it could guide the worker through the process, right? To which steps to take, which pictures to take, um, to click here if there's damage, all these things. So that was the initial kind of use case and um, what was built from a software standpoint. And then one of the gentlemen that worked for a big car rental company went over to Zeppelin Caterpillar in Europe, the biggest um, cat rental dealer basically in, um, in Europe and I think the world. And um, they said, can you build the same thing? So that's what transitioned into kind of construction equipment and, you know, and that. So that was kind of the journey. Mm. And then, yeah, the product is, is definitely kind of formed in different ways for use cases. Initially, it was kind of the whole check-in, check-out, which, you know, is, is really important in the kind of the operations and the flow and the life cycle of the equipment. And then it's it's veered into damage detection, you know, having an app to control the phone and take pictures and compare pictures on how it left versus how it came back. It's veered into dispatch to be able to dispatch workforce for work orders and services, as well as dispatching equipment and orders and different things. So um, it's it's gotten a lot more robust in as far as integrating with ERP systems and then kind of taking that into the field, right, from a mobile standpoint. So, you know, for example, I'll give one more example that I think resonates with people. One of the big rental companies that's on one of the big software platforms said, you know, we want this curbside pickup solution and but our current system capability is to take a pdf of the contract and use docusign and have a customer sign it so they said you know what we really like to do is take an order off the web reservation basically 
and turn it into order in the field, be able to add equipment, delete equipment, change price, take a credit card, change the status of the equipment and do an inspection. So, you know, we looked at that and said, that's really exactly kind of what we do. And we were able to build that solution in a week, basically. Wow. And, um, you know, so that's the power of the solution is, you know, there's a lot kind of out of the box. And then if you do need to kind of customize and tailor, then it's, it's very, very easy to do from the standpoint of working with the customers, having a workshop and figuring out, yeah, what do I want this screen to look like? How do I want this box to look like a drop down? What are the verbiage in there? And then right away you can go and test it in the field and then come back and maybe tweak it a little more. But so that's really the high level view of kind of what the solution is, kind of use case a little bit and, and you know, the power of the solution. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, that's unbelievable. One week. That's, <laughs> people spend years yeah. trying to develop like custom applications. So, so then that basically means that each customer can have their own flavor of the app as well then, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, you know, we talk about that because even in the car rental space initially, everyone's like, you know, a return of a car should be the same pretty much for everyone, but everyone's like, eh, I got a little different way of doing it and maybe my way is better, whatever it is. But you can offer that, you know, here's 90%, kind of here's a template, and if you want to tweak it, you know, we can do that in a workshop basically and, and kind of roll it out, right? And even for a lot of companies that have different geographies that may be slightly different, right, on how they do things mm. or, or different DOT or different regulations. So, yeah, I think that customization is, is pretty key. And I think a lot of customers really see that value, right, because their business doesn't always fit into a specific shoebox, right? Yeah. And so then, so that example with the curbside pickup, customer comes to you and says this is the problem we have can you help design a solution is it is is there are there teams building that no code low code or is it your team like how does that work yeah another great question you know initially the thought was that this whole platform would be used and the customers can use it themselves they can we can show them a little bit and they can kind of create their own workflows and it has that capability but what's transpired mostly is it you know, they've asked us to do it, right? They either don't have the resources or capacity or, you know, whatever it is, but it's transitioning that. But we're starting to see a little bit more now where part of the pitch is that, you know, we could provide this solution. And if they have an IT department or some savvy folks, they can take some ownership of it. So we're starting to see a little bit more of that. And um, some of the big software companies have kind of coined this citizen developer approach is what they call it. So. Mm-hmm. I think future state, you're going to see a lot more of that. I think, you know, some of the big software companies are, are attuned to that with this low code, no code, and, and the growth is is there. So I think I think we'll see a lot more of that, and it's it's an opportunity, right, to kind of really take it internally and, and make it your own and, you know, do some developments from that standpoint. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, because like, I guess every rental business wants to digitize their process. Like That's like one of the, the key... Yeah. I, COVID has accelerated that whole process exponentially, but uh, a lot of the ERP providers are struggling to provide like custom solutions for everyone. And they're trying to build 
on iOS or Android. So like, what, yeah. what is your, like, is it, is it on Android or iOS? Like what, what's the build time? Yeah, it's, it's on both. Um, initially actually start off on Microsoft Windows way back when, but nobody uses that. So <laughs> that got yeah. cut off, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so iOS and Android for both. So yeah. And it's, um, and like you said, it's, it's managing all those things and upgrades of phones and iOS 15.2 and you know, all those things. So there's a whole, you know, another piece, right. That some people are managing MDM and you know, all the, tablets and phones and, and all those things so you know we've gotten pretty attuned to that right with um, working with some big enterprise customers that there's a lot of moving parts with kind mm. of the hardware side of it right mm. so talking about enterprise customers so one of our early podcasts was with Doug Doherty from Cooper Equipment Rentals so I believe that they actually use your solution as well up in Canada so could you talk about maybe the problem that they were trying to solve and like sort of where you fit into that picture for them yeah yeah, I think, you know, for them, it was really interesting. And they're, you know, I'd say one of the really forward thinking companies, right, with digitalization and, and really kind of moving in that direction. So they've put a lot of resources towards that. And really, for them, it was, you know, combination of things, but they really wanted to get this, you know, check in, check out part of it, kind of the whole flow of streamline and the operation side of it. So initially, it, it was, you know, kind of that whole check in, check out process. And then it just really expanded from there. And we're integrated into their ERP system and, you know, really working closely with them on, you know, what are some of the next projects basically that involve, you know, different aspects of their business. But um, they're, they've been a great customer and it's been a really good relationship. And, um, and I see that's how a lot of these things go with digital transformation. It's, I always use this kind of crawl, walk, run approach, because I think this, the challenging thing is with a lot of companies, if, if you try to run too fast or boil the ocean all at once, the adoption it becomes a challenge, right? Because if if you're not if you don't really have the right product or it's not really rolled out the right way, I think there's a, a perception for a lot mm. of folks in the industry where ah some new technology and you know it's not going to really work for the business and, and all these things. So I think that implementation part is is really critical mm. in the success. Yeah, I want to I want to cover that a bit deeper. So. Rolling out technology within any business is, it can be a challenge just from the change management standpoint. People have, especially if people have been very comfortable in doing things on pieces of paper, they feel safe. They can write down the asset number or they can take a photo on their phone and upload yeah. it later on. Like, so they, they feel safe, but when they, when they put a tablet or a phone in front of them, like they need to work with it and it might be a little bit of pushback. So sure. you would have implemented some pretty large enterprise customers and some small businesses. So what, what advice would you give to rental companies that are looking to try and digitize their, their workflow process? Yeah. Yeah, I think the, that crawl, walk, run approach kind of, it reverts to that in a way where, okay, let's figure out, you know, focus on a couple things, right, initially and where we can move the needle and, you know, where's the real pain points in the business. So I think we talk about that a lot and really figure out, you know, who are the kind of champions and stakeholders and, you know, make sure you have the right team in place as well as I think it's really important that they have some kind of ownership of it, right? Somebody who's leading the project and, and kind of owns it and, and has a focus on it, right? I think it becomes a challenge when you have companies involved in certain initiatives where they're spending 10% of their time on, on this initiative and they got 10 other initiatives going on and, mm. you know, and that focus isn't really there. So I think it's a combination of things, but I think, you know, with experience and rolling things out and understanding the business, 
I think we try to really rein it in a little bit to say, you know, let's let's focus on these couple things. And then I think it's like anything else with with software and, and technology and digitalization is that you start to gain a little bit of credibility. And I think it opens it up to, you know, growing and, and doing some things. And I think the other one last thing is just, you know, how do you quantify? How do you quantify progress? How do you quantify savings, ROI, whatever it is? So I think there's some things there too with, you know, whether it's damage detection or inventory management that you can start to quantify and say, okay, with this new inventory app, it used to take an hour and a half to do inventory at this branch. Now it takes 19 minutes, right? And we can obviously calculate labor savings and certain things. So I think there's, you know, there's a good mix of mm. how do you measure and, you know, how do you adopt and, and take it in phases? Yeah. yeah. A couple of things on there as well. I think when you're rolling it out into multiple locations, you need to have the, the branch managers working towards that common goal as well. And mm -hmm. so I think a great way to do that is to add as part of their KPI to say like, I don't know, 85% of your transactions need to be digitized uh, in the month. Yep. And if they're not, then you sort of miss like one of your, your objectives for the year or whatever it might be. If you, if you don't include that, then there's no reason for them to, to do it. <coughs> yep. So is that something that you've seen as well? People using that as objectives? So yeah, on the, on the branch thing, I think that's super important. That's a really good point because Again, one of my experiences in the past was with inventory management. And um, when we looked at somebody using a device, we could measure every time somebody does a click, where they're at, you know, all those things. So you can see adoption is a percentage of users, branches, really scorecard it and, and use it as a KPI. Maybe use it as a scorecard for, you know, branch of the year, different things. So. I think that measuring piece is, is huge, right? It, it has some accountability <clears throat> as well as standardization. So I think, again, yeah, when you have multiple branches, multiple regions, everyone does it slightly different. But if you can start to benchmark and standardize, then I think obviously it becomes easier to measure, but I think it gives that consistent experience too for the mm -hmm. customer um, and then for new hires and, and workforce training, <clears throat> it really, kind of levels out the playing field a bit. So I think that's a huge piece of it is to really be able to standardize across the board and then it's scalable too, right? So I think there's a lot of a lot of pieces within that, but I think, yeah, it, it's really benchmarking and scorecarding and having accountability mm. um, to really dial it in to see who's using it, how they're using it, why they're using it, all those things. and. If they're not using it, maybe it's a, a training exercise. Maybe they need some training. Maybe they're just not comfortable with the technology, whatever it is. But yeah, I think that's a huge insight to be able to, to see that data. And yeah. um, that's, that's, that's a big step. And I think if people are struggling with adoption, it's almost an education piece around what the life cycle <clears throat> is of a piece of paper within an organization. So if someone says, it, it's much easier for me to, to handwrite it and just put it on someone else's desk. So, like, oh yeah, you just made your job maybe a little bit easier and you feel yeah. safe with your pen, but you just added like three days worth of work or delay, might invoice a, a week later, we might want to miss the damage collection or whatever it might be. Sure. It, it's, it's about making sure that the people in the organization are aware of the ramifications of what paper, 
what a paper trail does in, within a business as well. Right. Yeah. Totally. And and being able to look back on certain things and <clears throat> having that history and that database, I think, is really interesting. And I think you're seeing that a lot in the industry as well. Um, you know, I call it kind of the car facts of the equipment industry, where you can look at equipment, you can see when it was serviced and repairs and all these different check-in, check-outs and all these different things. So now you have full visibility of, of the fleet. So you have the telematics data and you have this mobility and you have your ERP system. So I think, you know, what we just touched on briefly, I think is this whole ecosystem is is kind of where things are going, right? It's, it's how do you take all these tools and integrate and really add value and, and make it efficient, right? Mm. So it's, I don't think there's one magic bullet to say, the Lodge Move solution, we get that and, you know, we got everything under control and streamline the business. I think it's, you know, there's some of these different pieces where if you can integrate them well and really share the data, then I think that's when you really kind of yeah. add the value. Yeah, and I think you touched on as well earlier, which is an important point, is that there's so many bits of, of the operations that you can digitize. You can digitize creating quotes, you can do returns, contract creation, servicing, inspections, whatever it might be. You, you don't have to digitize everything all right. at once. Uh, and you mentioned that it's important to just try and solve one problem first. And then once the adoption is good, then you can sort of expand out. Is that, is that something that really makes a big difference with these rollouts? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really it. And you can, you can focus on whether it's, you know, you obviously have your, like you're talking about quotations and pricing and all things. I mean, that's obviously on the sales side. So you can start to focus in on whether it's fleet or operations, service, whatever it is, and, you know, really dial it in with those groups and, and those stakeholders, right? And you get some, some people that are kind of experts in, within the company and getting some voice of the customer and feedback. So, yeah, I think it's, it's ultimately really kind of channeling that. And, um, and like you said, it, you know, everything has kind of ramifications for other things. So, you know, it's really taken and perfecting one piece and then kind of building blocks, right. And, um, making it modular and, mm. and really getting it out there into the, into the real world. And then you mentioned that it's important to have like an advocate on the, on the rental business itself. So someone that's like owning the project, who's the best person normally within an organization to do that? Do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it, it could vary a little bit and that's what we've seen, right? I think some of the big rental companies have <clears throat> really started to do this with, you know, somebody who's really this, I don't want to call it a project manager, but in a way that's, that's part of the role where they're, they're kind of owning that project. And, um, and they have a team that works with them and it may involve kind of this operations team and maybe they have IT involved in some of it. You know, a lot of the customers that we have, we have weekly calls. So sometimes it's, it's kind of all, all hands on deck where it's IT and operations and sometimes it's just operations or sometimes IT. But I think for us, a lot of it has been on the operations side because, you know, I think that's where we can really help and move the needle. And then obviously working with IT folks for data integration and things along that line. So, so yeah, I think it, it can be slightly different depending on the, the size of the customer. Uh, but I think, you know, having somebody that's, that's really involved in, and that has that focus and, and has some juice within the organization mm. to make it happen is, I think, is important as well. Yeah, so we do have a lot of independents that listen to the podcast as well. So I'm a small business. I've only got a couple million revenue got a very small team but i want to digitize my mm -hmm. processes like 
what do I do then? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and that's been a, a very large growing segment. I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've done in our minds is we really want to serve that independent rental company and take all the learnings from the, the large enterprise customers and really boil it down and make it really work well for small independents and midsize independents and um, those regional players. So we've, we've taken that kind of template and library of inspections and check-in, check-outs and, you know, all those things and really have something that's out of the box, right? That really, you know, here it is, you can go use it. Here's videos, here's some things. We'll do our workshops and, and all those things. But I think it's, it's pretty similar in the way of, you know, what are the pain points, right? And some of the small independents may be operating on spreadsheets, right? And that's fine. And, um, you know, we could take that and we could mock it up and, and take their environment and, and basically host it on a, on a digital platform. So I think it's, it's always about kind of where you're at today and where do you want to go and then develop those, those steps in the way. But, you know, we offer something that's kind of out of the box and then we, then we talk about it. How do we want to, you know, tweak this, tweak that. So, um, so that's, that's really where the product has gone as well to really have something that's for you know the small, medium, and large customer, and um, and and I think that's that's the power of kind of the low code, no code, where, and I think that's where it's going, right? That mm. you can develop an app that you know can be used for all sizes and shapes yeah. of companies. Yeah, and then so you, you've mentioned the word workflow quite a lot. So so what does workflow actually mean within LogiMove? Yep. So you know workflow kind of from two standpoints, workflow from kind of that software side of things is, is basically, you know, we create, we call like an app builder. So it's a flow that's kind of created and um, goes back to that drag and drop. You build it, you know, whether it's an asset flow, um, there's different types of flows. And then you're basically creating that flow that basically becomes a specific workflow within that company. So if it's the check-in process, if it's, um, a delivery process, if it's a return process, inspection. So every process we call process is a workflow. And, um, you know, the return could be the same as the delivery, could be slightly different, you know, whatever it is. So you kind of generate these workflows. And uh, sometimes initially it's customers have their own, right? They have, you know, their whole check-in process. They have it on paper, partly digital, whatever it is. And we take that and we recreate it. And, um, you know, one addition of that, I guess, that's worth mentioning is that I think one of the interesting points that, that everyone finds is with a lot of rental companies, there's a lot of checklists and certain things. And I think a lot of times the quality of data isn't, you know, where you'd want it to be, right? It's a checklist and it's, you know, is it working? Is it starting? You know, so these questions are really built around kind of yes, no, yes, no and a quick checklist. And, um, you know, while that's good to have something, I think you get into the mode of what we call pencil whipping a little bit, where it's just like, yeah, 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 check, 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 check. Um, you know, where we start to talk to the customer and say, maybe would it be helpful if we asked it in a different way? Like, let's say they're checking out a pump and, um, and you're testing a pump, does it have pressure, yes or no? You know, that's easy, but okay, but maybe you wanna know how many PSI it is, is it, 25 does it fall on the right range where it you know working properly so i think you can we start to reframe it a little bit where you know you make the worker actually answer a question in a way that that, that adds value right that um you know we get better better quality of data mm. 
So those are things, you know, within the workflow that we start thinking about. How can we enhance that? Not just taking paper and turn it into digital. I mean, that's, you know, that could be part of it, but really how to enhance kind of the workflow and, and kind of the, again, the process yeah. and standardization and, and all those things. So, so let's talk about damage detection. That's a, that's a pretty big one when it comes to yeah. um, uh, making sure that you're recouping any, any costs uh, that are associated with it. So in, in addition to the damage detection piece, I saw that there was also an overlay of, of AI within Logimove as yeah. well. So can we just cover that topic for a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I love that topic. I think, um, you know, just a huge advocate of what I've seen in my experience over the years is it's really a challenge in the industry for this whole damage. Um, you know, we have damage waiver and, you know, all these different things, but, you know, having construction equipment and stuff in tough environments, there's a lot of stuff that could happen to equipment, right? So I think there's a lot of companies out there that do some form of, call it damage detection. And uh, from a logic move standpoint, we really have kind of what I call three layers. We have your regular inspection and workflow, which is kind of, you know, certain checks for the, for the field worker when equipment comes back, right? Or they're checking it out. And then the second layer we call guided damage detection, which is what I think is a real needle mover for a lot of companies. So basically we have this workflow they can use if they have an existing app or whatever it is, they can use theirs. Um, we also have built ours that really is asset specific. So um, from a standpoint of if you have a pump, if you have a pickup truck, if you have a generator, um, it's going to be slightly different, right? Um, you're going to see a pictogram on the screen of that type of mm -hmm. equipment. And uh, this is re really where the field worker gets guided. So they get a piece of equipment back um, and, and, you know, and basically go through the process. And if there's damage, you know, you can click where there's damage and then other drop downs appear. Um, you know, what part of it is damage? A list comes up. If you say it's, I don't know, interior of a skid steer, okay, you know, what could be damage? It could be glass, it could be a, a knob, it could be, you know, um, whatever it is, right? So you get this list of potential damages. How severe is it? Uh, does it need to be replaced, assessed, take a picture of that specific damage? So that's the guided, and that could take you all the way to a, a cost. We have some customers that even have a cost. So when you dial in that damage, uh, again, a, a piece of glass on the cab of a skid steer might cost, you know, $300, right? So that's the guided damage detection where it gets very specific on, you know, what the damage is, and then you have that traceability. So you have that whole asset history of this damage occurred on this date from this customer, this user at this time, mm -hmm. and all that. So it, it really gets that transparency and visibility of the damage. And, um, and then the, the third piece is the AI. So what the AI does is basically it, it, you're taking pictures on how the equipment left and how it came back. And the AI is looking at those pictures and saying there's, there's additional damage. Like this, this damage wasn't there on the way out, but it's here now. So it picks it up. And, um, and, and that's the whole use case in itself of, you know, okay, how do you handle that? Is it an alert? Is it a cost? you know, what, what do you want to accomplish with your business? So mm. we have that with the car rental companies and we have that now in, um, in a big way in, in construction and equipment rental space. And um, so those are the three different steps. And, um, and really what the interesting thing is, I think from, from my perspective is that a lot of companies don't even know, 
kind of where they're at with it as far as any metrics, right? So if you ask rental companies and say, what's your damage detection and what's your damage collection, you know, you're probably not going to get an answer because they don't really have that data mm. and they don't really know. So it's really interesting once you establish that benchmark of, you know, what's your percentage of damage detection and damage collection. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity and, you know, we can get into other specifics, but, you know, in the car rental sector, it's about $800 per damage. And, um, and in the construction and equipment rental space, it's twelve to $1,600 of damage is, is what we're seeing. Um, and we have some, some big data that it's moving more towards that $1,600 per damage. So mm. it's a huge number when you roll up, you know, especially with bigger companies, different branches, you know, what that number could look like. Yeah, I could even imagine like if you're incorporating AI and you see repeat damage on the same type of machine, eventually you can start almost like giving advice to say, make sure you check this part of the machine because we've got all this data to back up to say that there is typically some type of issue with it. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. From day one, my, my thought was always, you know, what are the top five damages with this type of equipment and that type of equipment? Because I think, you know, when you're building inspections and check, it's, it's all about obviously, you know, getting that 80-20 and figuring out, yeah, where do you, you know, where should you really focus on, right? Is it the tires? Is it, you know, is it the bucket? Is it, you know, whatever it is, right? So I think that's kind of where eventually it goes. And I think that's where the opportunity is to, right, to really dial it in from that standpoint, working with manufacturers and certain things that, yeah, certain things are breaking more, denting more, whatever it is, right? And then you can really take that data and, um, and utilize it for your fleet. Mm. And, um, yeah, and, and we even have some customers that look at the condition of the equipment going out and coming in. Again, in the car rental space, there's a cleaning charge. I think that's a whole nother topic where, you know, there could be some opportunities of getting equipment coming back with, you know, all sorts of cement overspray, different things where, you know, there's somebody that's got to sit there with a the pressure washer or scraper or do something to, to get that, mm. you know, get that stuff off. So there's... I think anyone who's been in the business realizes that, you know, it's it's a challenge and it's an opportunity at the same time. Yeah. And look, so there was some pretty big news recently as well. So Logimove uh, uh, was, was acquired. So do you want to just talk through like what the past six months yeah. have looked like and what's happened recently? Yeah. So, um, you know, really exciting time in the company's history. And, um, you know, it was always about obviously growing and scaling the company and, really initially in Europe and in America. So really exciting time and um, working with a private equity company, Banneker, um, out of the, the, the Silicon Valley in, in California. And a uh, great private equity company that's really showing an interest in kind of the rental space and software space and really looking to scale it up and see an opportunity. So they're putting a lot of horsepower behind it. And um, they really like the technology is obviously why we've, we've come together and they really see these next several years in the industry as, as an opportunity to really kind of pave the way for technology and digital transformation and with some of their other companies that they've acquired to, to really take that and, and be, you know, one of the premier, if not the premier players globally in, in mm -hmm. kind of this rental software and um, all things yeah. technology space. So Yeah, must be really exciting for you as well, like coming in to the company and seeing what it was like in North America and 
get that slow growth and then start building up and then today being acquired uh, by a, a massive private equity firm and and that growth so like, that must be just an exciting like feeling even just for yourself yeah it's it's always you know when we talked about my story of you know i've always loved the growth part of it i've always liked working with the team and building something and looking back and being proud of it and i think you know that that always falls in line with me and i think that's that's kind of where it's at and i think this is really the first chapter i think you know there's just a huge opportunity and upside for the company and in the industry as a whole so there's some exciting things to you know to come down the pipeline and i'm just happy and grateful to be a part of it mm -hmm. so maybe we'll uh, learn a little bit more about josh as well so we've been talking about lodging move quite a bit yep. so so you've obviously worked at some pretty high profile rental companies in north america uh, now in, on the technology space so who do you think has played a big influence on you from a, a mentor perspective yeah, I think I've had some really, like I mentioned before, some really great bosses and, you know, really interesting opportunities that I've been presented with. And, um, you know, it, it definitely, my big rental company experience has definitely shaped me in a way where I think, you know, not just myself, but the whole industry is has come up over the years. I had mentioned, we were talking before the show a little bit about, you know, how we used to, back in the day, kind of measure success. And it was just... You know, there wasn't any metrics. Um, everything's evolved so much. But, um, you know, for me, it was really interesting, too. I think, you know, through the years, and I look at, at Hertz as an example, I had a few bosses there who were really keen on kind of personal and professional development. So for me, it was really my first entree into, okay, how do I make myself kind of a, you know, better employee? How do I make myself a better person? You know, how do I take some of my experience and, and help others? And, um, Part of it was, you know, being involved with mentorship programs and leadership programs and taking classes and, and all those things. So it really hit home for me that, you know, this is this is obviously a job and something I'm passionate about. But, you know, I really want to help others and, you know, my experience and kind of, you know, lift other people up. I think that's that always you know resonated with me. So I had some really good bosses that really took that on and gave me some opportunities to. Uh, you know, be involved with some of these initiatives. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, one of my highlights was being in this global leadership. And I got chosen, um, you know, from the corporation standpoint to, uh, in, in this global leadership role. And um, there was eight of us on the equipment rental side out of 42,000 employees at, at, at Hertz at the time to, to win the award. They had an award every year. And, um, you know, it was just a great honor and experience to, uh, you know, we had this trip to Italy and, um, you know, we, everyone got to take their significant others and it was like this big celebration. And, um, it was just, it was just amazing. The, the CEO at the time, he had worked for GE in the past and Jack Welch, who was on the board. And he said, if I ever become CEO, I'm going to do one of these programs. He won like five at GE and he's like, if I ever have the opportunity it's something i'd like to do within the corporation so it was just such an honor and you know all those little things just kind of resonated with me and um and i've always kind of taken that and and try to implement it where i can and all my experience of never you know being out in the field and doing all aspects of the business it always mm -hmm. goes back to that from my upbringing and my family that the same way like i never asked 
somebody to do something that I haven't done. So yeah. I've had a lot of great mentors and learning lessons over the years. And um, yeah, it's it's been, the industry has been really good to me and yeah, I just love it. Yeah, awesome. And so if you could give advice to young Josh, what, <laughs> what would you say? Young Josh. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned, especially getting out of the corporate side and going to consulting and software is that, that, you know, don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone, right? I think, you know, the industry is really great. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people feel stuck in a way where it's the only thing I know, and I can't really kind of move out of it. And I've seen it from all different angles, right? Big companies, small companies, dealers, manufacturers, rental companies. And, um, and for me, it's just really about rounding out yourself as a person in your career. So I think for me, it was just, you know, don't have expectations, just enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. And, um, it's, it's been great. And, um, and that being out of your comfort zone, taking on initiatives, um, and really establishing relationships. I think that whole networking piece, we always talk about how small knit the industry is, but it's really, you know, just carved out some really good friendships and relationships that are lifelong, right? Is, is a lot of us travel all over the place. You know, you start to develop it where every city you go to, you're calling up your buddy and, you know, it's just, mm. it's, you know, it's, it's irreplaceable. And um, so I guess from a young Josh standpoint, this is, this is, this is where I was meant to be exactly today, at the podcast with you and, I'm just grateful for this this whole journey that, that yeah. led up to today. Yeah, awesome. And so you mentioned success earlier, but like obviously over the years, success would have changed in terms of how you defined it. But how do you define success today? Yeah, success success for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think for me, it's it's really happiness and, and you know, and what I'm doing is, is really paramount. It sounds, you know, very cliche and, you know, kind of, out of the box answer type of thing. But I think I really look at that as, is important, right? You know, obviously all of us have lives outside of work and, you know, all these things. And we, we really devote a lot of energy and passion towards, you know, this industry and the business. But I think for me, it's, it's just been really interesting. And I remember we were in one of the global leadership meetings we had, we had a lot of keynote speakers and, and come in. And I remember some of the keynote speakers talking about life balance and, Obviously, you can get into the whole thing about life balance, but one of the things was if, if you're not healthy yourself, you can't help others. It doesn't matter how successful you are. And they talked a lot about people retiring, spending their whole lives trying to grow the corporate ladder, be an executive, and then retiring and having a bunch of money. And then, unfortunately, passing away a few years later because, you know, they just all they knew was that grind. Mm. And, um, and everyone I've ever talked to that's super successful from a standpoint of moving up the ladder or, or really making money in their career, it seems like a lot of people always say, I wish I spent more time with my family or friends or, or whatever it is, right? So I think success for me, long story short, is you know really loving what I do, enjoying what I do, helping others. And, uh, and I like to really grow a business and work with a team I've always and whether it's in sports or business I always like that that team aspect yeah that's no, very nice yeah it's if you don't look after yourself like you can you can have all the money in the world but it doesn't mean anything yeah yeah in the yeah. end and I think we've really learned that the last few years right I mean it's 
you know, our health and, and everything and, and going through what we've gone through the last few years is, you know, is, is really, really a challenge for a lot of people, right? We've, it's changed, reframed the way we do business, the way we interact and all those things. So yeah, never taking things for granted, I guess as well. Right. That's it. All right, Josh. Well, thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Love it. Cool.